The first atomic bomb was dropped on Hiroshima. Over humanity! The fires of frustration and discord are burning. And Let us not forget for a moment the toils and efforts that lie ahead. They say that those who forget their history are condemned to repeat it. This is the History Lessons Podcast with certified financial planning practitioner Patrick Huey, author of History Lessons for the Modern Investor and your guide to financial wisdom in the past, present, and future. You ready? Good. Let's get historical. Historical? Hmm, yeah, okay. This is the History first, Lessons Podcast for the, the week of January 15th, 2024. I am Patrick Huey, author of History Lessons for the Modern Investor. And if you are a modern investor seeking some historical perspective in this wacky world, well, you're in the right place. This week, we'll be talking about one in concert, Ike's optimism and consumer price trivia. Well, I'm a little bummed this week uh, as a friend recently invited me to see you 2 in concert, a show I've seen before but would have loved to join in again. Unfortunately, it's just not to be. But this week's inflation data had me thinking of the song One and this particular lyric. Is it getting better or do you feel the same? The producer price index, PPI, despite a 0.1% decline in December, the second consecutive month, has caution prevailing. Energy prices plunged 1.2%, a remarkable 34.4% annualized drop in just three months. Core prices held steady, marking a 1.8% 12-month change. Are we winning the inflation battle? Well, it sure seems like a beautiful day. Meanwhile, the Consumer Price Index, CPI, had inflation accelerating, challenging beliefs that the scare is behind us. December saw a 0.3% rise, pushing the 12-month comparison to 3.4%. While an improvement from 2022 6.5%, it's a far cry from the Fed's 2% target. The journey to economic balance continues, and it feels a bit like we might be stuck in a moment you can't get out of. It all, we're one, but we're not the same, at least when it comes to the inflation readings last month. Perhaps things will be just a little bit clearer in a little while. Next up, we'll charge the Wayback Machine and head back in time for this week's history lesson. But first, this word. Interest rates are rising, and your annuity purchased in the last decade might not be keeping up, which means your financial plan may be falling behind. So if you own a deferred annuity, fixed, indexed, or variable worth more than $250,000, now is the time to review it and make sure it is doing all that it can for you and your financial plan. Let us help you keep your retirement on track. Introducing Victory Independent Planning. VIP turns complex financial matters into clear and confident solutions. So you can relax and enjoy retirement whenever it arrives. Get the annuity review kit now. This complimentary kit includes a variety of checklists, resources, and eBooks to review the fees, features, and flexibility, or lack thereof, in your current annuity contract. 
It will even help you assess your overall investment goals and the people who are offering you advice. Get the kit today, because you can't teach an old annuity new tricks. To learn how VIP can help you review your annuity, click on the link in the show notes or go to victoryindependentplanning.com. That's victoryindependentplanning.com. Sign up for peace of mind today. Uh, Alexa, charge the Wayback Machine and set it for 1961 AD. Charging Wayback Machine. On January 17th, 1961, Dwight David Eisenhower delivered a televised farewell address to the nation. It was just days before turning over the Oval Office to John F. Kennedy. And during the broadcast, Eisenhower cautioned against the perils of massive spending, especially deficit spending, and coins the term military-industrial complex to describe the relationship between the military and defense contractors. Eisenhower, a former, a former general and 34th president of the United States, expressed concern about the potential undue influence and power of the collaboration between the armed forces and those defense contractors. He also cautioned against the potential for the military industrial complex to exert disproportionate influence over national policy and decision-making processes. And he warned that the close ties between the military and defense industry might lead to an undue focus on maintaining a permanent wartime economy, potentially at the expense of other crucial national priorities. Though the term survived to this day, fears of deficit spending apparently have not. Listen, I like Ike, but Eisenhower was an optimist if he thought that this was just military spending that would be captured by the government. Since the 1960s, non-defense spending by the federal government has climbed dramatically from 10% of GDP in the decade of Kennedy and Johnson to 14.8% by the turn of the century. From there, it rose to 15.2% of GDP before the Obama administration, and then to 17.8% of GDP in 2019. It's projected to settle in at about 22% eh, of GDP over the next five years after peaking at 27.7% in 2020. In other words, non-defense spending now consumes more than twice as much of gross domestic product every year as it did when Eisenhower gave his warning. And what about that debt? Well, since 2020, it, it has risen from around $26 trillion to over $34 trillion today. As we head towards tax season, keep all this in mind because the bills will be coming due no matter what the money is spent on. Wayback Machine disengaged. Returning to the year 2024. Finally this week, it's on to the mailbag. You've got mail. This week's question of the week was this. What is CPI and why does the media seem to obsess over it so much? Let's start at the beginning. What exactly is the consumer price index, often referred to as the CPI? Well, the BLS, or the Bureau of Labor Statistics, publishes two indexes each month. The Consumer Price Index for All Urban Customers, or the CPIU, is the most common that you see out there in the media, and it rep represents 93% of the U.S. population not living in remote rural areas. Doesn't cover spending by people living in farm households, institutions such as prisons, or on military bases. 
And CPIU is the basis of, like we said, all the widely reported CPI numbers that matter to financial markets. At its core, the CPI is a measurement that examines the average change in prices paid by consumers for goods and services over time. It's a vital indicator often used to gauge inflation or deflation in an economy. And obviously, over the last couple of years, it's become a hot topic. Now, picture this. The CPI is a basket. Okay? And in that basket are commonly purchased goods and services representing what a typical consumer might buy. The basket includes everything from groceries and housing to healthcare and entertainment. And by tracking the prices of these items over time, economists can analyze how the cost of living is evolving. In other words, does the cost of this basket of goods go up, meaning it's inflationary, or does it go down, indicating that it's deflationary? And how much of that inflation or deflation is the typical consumer experiencing? Now, you might be wondering, how do they calculate this index? Uh, the Bureau of Labor Statistics regularly surveys thousands of households collecting data on their spending habits. The BLS collects about 80,000 prices or so monthly from about 23,000 retail and service establishments. And using that information, they assign weights to different items in the basket based on their significance in an average consumer's budget. CPI just divides the consumer market basket into eight major groups. And you could see those here uh, on the screen, uh, eight major groups of goods and services, but I'll list them for those who, who are not uh, joining us on video. They're food and beverages, housing, apparel, transportation, medical care, recreation, education and communication, and the catch-all of catch-alls, other goods and services. Now, all these categories of goods and services are weighted based on their impact to the typical consumer. And these weights give each good or service in the CPI an importance relative to all the other goods and services in that market basket. The overall CPI is then calculated by comparing the total cost of the basket in the current period to the cost in the base period, typically the prior month or the prior year. And that gives us the percentage change in prices over time. And while several factors can result in the national CPI being different from your price experience, one major factor is how you actually spend your money. No one on this call is average or typical, and yet we've used that word four or five times already in describing how the basket is created. So your expenditure weights may be different, sometimes drastically, than how the CPI weighs them. And thus, your personal inflation number may be different than what the CPI or any other measurement gives you. Now that we know what the consumer price index is, let's delve into why it's so crucial, uh, especially for investors. Why should we care about this seemingly abstract number? Well, first, if the CPI shows a consistent rise in prices, as it has recently, your purchasing power decreases over time. What used to cost $100 may now cost $103 at 3% inflation after one year, or $110 if inflation is approaching 10% as it was in late 
2022. This impacts everything from your daily expenses, anybody try to buy eggs lately, uh, to big ticket purchases and investments. In short, it affects your financial plan. And the estimates that we used for inflation may be in need of updating based on the last couple of years. Now, we've done that for most clients, but if you're one that hasn't seen an update to your inflation projections, please let us know. Secondly, the CPI is a key tool for policymakers. Governments and some central banks use it to set economic policies, especially monetary policies. If inflation is too high, they might adjust interest rates upward to cool down the economy. See 2023, where the Fed rose rates dramatically over the last year. Now, on the other hand, if inflation is too low or deflationary, as we feared way back in 2008 and 2009, the Fed will take measures to stimulate economic activity, including reducing interest rates. Okay, a question that came in uh, as we were getting started, does the Fed, our own central bank, use CPI for its own inflation targets? And the answer there is no, it does not. It has other inflation measures that it uses, the primary one, being the PCE price index uh, or personal consumption expenditure index that they started using in 2012 when making their monetary policy decisions. Um, it's a separate inflation report. It's less well known to the general pub public and it's published by the Bureau of Economic Analysis instead of the Bureau of Labor Statistics. I guess we gotta keep the economists employed somewhere. Uh, but the Fed prefers the PCEPI, which is a mouthful, over the comparable consumer price index, CPI, because they say the PCEPI better reflects changes to consumer spending, such as selecting substitute goods due to price changes, and it covers a broader range of spending. So there you have it. So if the Fed isn't using CPI, why does the media seemingly obsess over it? Mostly because, as we said, no one knows much about that PCE price index that the Fed prefers, and the CPI is the most popular proxy for inflation. So it can literally move markets. And if you don't believe me, the October report came out in mid-November and showed improvement in reported CPI and what they call core CPI, which strips out the volatile food and energy prices uh, which are more volatile than, than other categories. And the report sparked, as one CNBC article put it, quote, a major rally on Wall Street. Well, I'll say, after mid-November, markets rallied with many indexes turning positive for the first time all year. Um, and as for the slight swoon to be, that began at the beginning of this year, well, much of that came after last week's report that December's CPI was slightly worse than expected. So CPI, despite not being a Fed-used monetary uh, instrument, it is still a market mover. Okay, our key takeaways for this week. First, consumer price index measures the change in consumer prices based on a typical basket of goods and services over time. As the saying goes, your results may vary. Second, the CPI is, most widely, is the most widely used measure of inflation, and it cl is closely follows, followed by some policymakers and most 
major media outlets. Third, the widely quoted CPI is based on an index covering 93% of the U.S. population. The related index covers wage earners, farm workers, clerical workers, uh, and is used for cost of living adjustments to federal benefits. Fourth, the CPI is based on about 80,000 price quotes collected monthly from some 23,000 retail and service establishments, as well as 50,000 rental housing units. And fifth, this renting housing piece is important. Housing rents are used to estimate the change in shelter costs, including owner-occupied housing, and that accounts for about a third of the CPI on average. Though much more right now is rents and housing have uh, gone through the roof, as they say, uh, through a period of rapid increase. And CPI can move markets, even though it's not the exact measurement used by the U.S. Central Bank for inflation. And there you have it. The Consumer Price Index, a fun fundamental measure that shapes economic decisions and impacts your everyday life, whether you know it or like it or not. Well, my fellow historians, that is all for this week. Check out my book, History Lessons for the Modern Investor. That's available on Amazon.com. And be sure to do all the social stuff with us. Like this episode, follow us wherever you see or hear your podcasts. We're available on Substack, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or YouTube. Until next week, when we'll take another rollicking romp through the past and make an investment in your future with History Lessons for the Modern Investor. See you next week.